You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, a marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. Today we meet Michael Sassano, a former Wall Street banker turned real estate developer that is known in the U.S. for building 16 large-scale cultivation facilities in Nevada. He left for Europe in 2019 to get a head start in the European cannabis market and launched Somai, a cannabinoid pharmaceutical company based in Lisbon, Portugal. Michael shares their strategy and readiness for Europe's impending cannabis legalization and his predictions for 2024. Let's welcome Michael Sassano. The company and how you're doing it. And I think a lot of people over here would love to hear that as well. If you could just give us an overview of, you know, Somai's, uh, you know, company overview and their capabilities where you stand now. Uh, just so we can get a, you know, place ourselves in the market over there. Uh, great to be back uh, here. And uh, uh, just to give you a little update. So, so my pharmaceuticals, uh, which is, uh, we're now currently ranked the largest and most innovative um, manufacturing facility um, in, in, uh, uh, in the EU and global community for EU GMP qualified med- medicinal cannabis products. Um, has now expanded with the largest portfolio of products. We currently have 60 made today with another 30 on its way uh, uh, into Q1 of this year. And our products are now reaching with our own distribution and sales, uh, which we own in Australia. Um, You will also see uh, two of the number one and two largest extract deals in all of Europe uh, with uh, Germany, uh, one is a 10 million euro deal with Grunhorn and a 5 million deal with Canify, which is the old Tilray people. Um, and then uh, you will also hear coming up soon um, our deals in the UK and Poland was already announced previously. Um, the markets are entering the product, I believe, within the country within the next month or two. Uh, they're, they're slated to enter. So Think of you know the process of where we're at. We manufacture the plant, the products. We get them registered. Uh, they're medicinal level, pharmaceutical grade cannabis products, and then we distribute uh, to all the main countries. And so, as of now, it's Australia, Germany, UK, and Poland, with the addition soon of Italy and Brazil. What is the update on medical research and what people are using this for? Yeah, what are people using it for? So you're saying you have 60 plus 30 coming different formulations. Um, is it all being used for, obviously for medical reasons only because Europe is medical only. So Yeah, that's correct. Europe, Europe is medical only. A doctor has to prescribe it. A pharmacy has to dispense it. Um, and the largest indication is pain. Um, so, you know, in that... 225-page document I read last night uh, from the HHS, uh, pain, you know, not that we all didn't know it here and uh, uh, we all weren't aware of it, um, but, you know, having having the HHS uh, put that in black and white was very clear. It's still the largest category here. 
Um, and there's also many more indications, similar to the document pointed out, at least 15 other indications. Of course, uh, you know, there's cancer three, um, nausea related um, uh, usages, um, you know, the more serious ones, but also here, uh, you see a lot of uh, in the mental area, stress, anxiety, um, and sleep even. Um, not that these are clinically proven, um, but these happen to be indications that people, uh, doctors are prescribing for. So, you know, similar to, you know, all the countries, even in the U.S., doctors are prescribing for these and pain is still the number one category. Right. And and do you have patents on some of the formulations? Um, we don't, we, we have a patent in process on our faster absorbing product. Um, that's also something that comes with PK studies and we'll be doing a human uh, a human clinical trial. Um, and so in order to, uh, uh, in order to get a patent, like as an example, if I wanted to get a patent on a 10 for 10 sensor formulation, I would have to show something novel to the process and also the, the medicine. However, you're using basic ingredients, CBD extract, THC extract, and the combination there too with MCT oil um, or olive oil or whatever excipient base you want, doesn't necessarily qualify uh, for a patentable product because it's a common usage form. Um, however, you know, for faster acting formulations, which we're doing, which might be common in U.S. products, um, over here, uh, these processes uh, can be patented and that formulation patented. So yes, um, you know, where we can find our spots, we are, um, and, and definitely um, we would like to have some protection uh, if we're going to announce these. Right. I, I do know that um, there is a company here, Curio Wellness, who has a patent on the uh, bioavailability or the mechanism, however it is to get into, into the body. So things like that. Okay. Um, and um, I, I did read that you have a, a partnership with uh, the UK's the UK on a large scale uh, medical cannabis study. Is this a significant study that's coming out or just more of kind of what you just said really about the benefits of? What yeah. So this, I think what you're referring to is the T21 project. Uh, mm -hmm. This is an amazing organization um, that has really been dedicated to advocacy um, of cannabis and the science of cannabis. It's filled with, with really, really great scientists uh, Mike Barnes, Anna Schlag, you know, quite a few. I don't want to name them all, but uh, they, they, they're they a great group to support. Uh, now that we are entering the market uh, of the UK with the largest portfolio, um, being with uh, T21 and finding observational uh, trial paths uh, within the UK community is definitely uh, an area we need to be at. We're looking through which ones we should choose. Um, some of my ideas, I'm not a scientist, um, you know, they not necessarily um, the way the scientists would like to go. And on, and on the other end, uh, the scientists sometimes need a little more of a commercial aspect. So we're looking through uh, to, through a few different observational studies. I'll be there next week uh, going over this with them. And we hope to have some news on uh, what we've chosen soon. But nothing chosen yet, um, but we will do one. We have to do one. Uh, and we want to support the UK. Um, but remember, globally, we need to choose observational trials in jurisdictions also. So we don't want to do two sleep studies. If we're doing one uh, with one group, um, we would like to have a different one in another country. So some of this is less 
um, let's say results orientated to something that's important to, to, to that country and more, okay, we're doing this already in Australia. Let's do something different over here um, and try to try to measure that up. Right. Yeah. Right. Plus a lot of people have done trials on drops, sensors, um, you know, where we have other form factors, sprays, um, or a gel caps. And so, you know, possibly doing those studies with different form factors might be more advantageous to the community uh, to understand adoption of different delivery methods, because um, not everyone wants to 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 put the liquid in their mouth or they want to carry it with them throughout the day. And a gel cap might be more they want information on. So we have to weigh all those possibilities. And it seems like the UK, you don't hear any talk about uh, the UK making any movement into the recreational market, but they seem to be kind of leading the pack a little bit. You always hear about them doing uh, clinical trials and, and you know, making some movement in, in the research. Is, is that right that you, you see that? I mean, you, you know, we, we always have to look at, you know, I always have my insider, uh, insider approach to the, to the, to the look. Um, in one way, you have, do have progressives pushing that way. On another way, it's the hardest rules to operate in currently. And what, and I'll explain to you what I mean by that. They have right now, in order to get a cannabis prescription, the current law and regulatory framework, you have to try, if you had back pain as an example, chronic back pain, um, and you you would have to try three different methods of uh, therapy before you can get approved to use cannabis. This is arduous at best. Um, yeah, yeah and very ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say it, but you did. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, wow. yeah, it's a yeah. tough one. Um, whereas if you take Australia or Germany as an example, the two larger uh, markets within this space, we have um, uh, uh, any GP can prescribe it for a multiple amount of indications, including stress, anxiety, you know, other less critical, um, uh, let's say indications. Um, I don't wanna diminish them, but okay, um, it's not cancer three, multiple sclerosis or others. Um, you know, in that respect, any GP as a first line treatment can just say, okay, cannabis is good for you. On the other side, they're opening up clinics in that countries that, that largely resemble um, early days in America where you would get your card and be able to go into a dispensary. And so these clinics are more um, aggressive to treat the ailment that you have. Even when I walk into them, I explain to them, uh, and and they're ready to help me and they have knowledge of the product. So in one large degree, the GPs may not be as knowledgeable or up to date as these clinics. And then as a tertiary line, similar uh, dispensary style pharmacies are starting to pop up like in Australia. Um, and they've been in, in Germany to some extent too, where actually the staff is more inclined to explain to you what cannabis product is better for you if you come in with a prescription, they can sway you one way or another to a product. And they are very reminiscent, although they're pharmacies and that's the law, they're, they act like dispensaries that we know of in the United States. And I would say, you know, more these, like Germany is acting more progressively now, um, especially with the concept of their narcotic derivation coming off, the advent of social clubs, um, Chez uh, Chechia 
Uh, the former Czech Republic uh, just announced recently a similar kind of program. So I think the way you'll bottle these up as things go on is some people will be more on the medical side and more strict about it. Others like Germany, Czechia, Malta, um, they'll have social clubs attached with uh, a more liberal uh, application of the indications. Oh, yeah, I know. It's very interesting patchwork over there that's happening of how they're doing it. So I'm, I'm just curious as far as your strategy of how when you first left the United States where you built out, I believe, 16 cultivation facilities, uh, seed to sale here, and going over to the Europe to be a first mover in the market, might not have known that Germany was going to be kind of the a, a place you needed to get into to start moving in the European market, and now you are in. Was that your first strategy, your first thought about going into the European market when you went over there and set up shop in, in Portugal? Yeah, so, I mean, th let's say there's two parts to it. Um, one would be, you know, what what was what was I well known for is, is constructing these facilities in the early days of the United States, and I thought to myself, um, there was a, there's a lack of infrastructure in Europe. Uh, definitely, um, I could use the skills for constructing a facility um, in order to in order to uh, service what will be the second largest cannabis market. Um, you know, and and will you know without a doubt over the next few years it will graduate to number two and oversee Canada. The other side was, how do I bring products that make sense for the community? And extracts didn't exist when I first came here. And I had to convince people that they were coming. Um, the first initial extracts two years ago uh, were very crude and rudimentary products. Um, still some that exist today. Oh, actually, they do exist today. I mean, these are crude oil extracts with tremendous amounts of plant material and non-essentials, mm. um, you know, and not only, you know, are the, some of the things not needed, um, you know, it just tastes horrible. And if you're going to take something every day, um, you know, you just don't want it tasting bad. And, you know, I, as the trying to understand, you know, what products are needed, I had to extrapolate and say to myself, let's, make an understanding what is today what is better today that we can offer what's going to be tomorrow because tomorrow's going to come and then what's going to be the future and the future is easy to see if you look at the united states or bds analytics um even if you don't even if you haven't participated or you just go visit a dispensary and ask the uh, bud tenders what's the best products what are people using them for there's lots of resources there's and even the canadian um, a report they come out with every year explaining the usages of medical uh, marijuana to their population. That's a beautiful 200-page report. There's a lot of data out there to explain the future. So what in, in that quest, it became you know apparent I had to make more products than everybody and not try to conform to what people were telling me was the one-size-fits-all pharmaceutical model that they're used to. And you know, coming from America, we want selection in our dispensaries and we don't even need to have our own products. We could have others products. So we play well with the other, you know, uh, people in the zoo yes. and, you know, <laughs> trying to, trying to tell everyone I'm making 60 products this year. 
to first was shocking to to everybody and not yeah. believable. Yeah, no. It, it was, I thought that seemed like a lot, but I wasn't sure. Okay. <laughs> nobody wanted to believe it. Nobody wanted to understand why I'm spending the money to make so many products. And and so now, you know, they understand because we're showing it piece by piece. Today is your basic, let's say, sat, uh, uh, sativa um, uh, extracted, you know, MCT oil based sensor. Um, it tastes better than the current markets. You don't need to be, you know, drinking all of these plant materials that make no sense. In fact, if you really love terpenes, I got a next generation of terpene enhanced products uh, for you. You know, if that's the why you think bad tasting oil should taste like that. So, you know, in formulation, we can have more exact formulations of terpenes rather than randomized terpenes from dried flour, which is minimal at best. So I said, okay, here's today and tomorrow I'm gonna make you this. And then the future that may become a live resin or a live rosin product. Um, you know, it may even be a concentrate, which I believe is more medical than a vaporizer. And we didn't even think vaporizers, everybody was saying last year, why are you making vaporizers and putting them in stability? Because from the day I make the product till it's able to be sold is one year uh, because I need a shelf life. And I said, I, I, this, I think doctors want something other than flour to administer. They're not comfortable um, uh, signing a prescription for that. I'm making it. And guess what? This yeah. year, Australia and Germany both announced vaporizers. And uh, okay. yeah, and we signed a global deal with a US vaporizer company, um, uh, Aeropro. So, you know, in, in essence, these products that I thought were going to be the future are actually already today because there's a $32 billion market called the United States that tells us what consumer preference wants and what's helping people. And I think there's a place for all of these products, but we need to make sure as a company in Europe that we service the new countries as well as the more mature countries. So somebody who comes on and wants the basics, well, I have that for you. And I have it in sativa, indica, hybrid formation, whereas everybody may be just blending flowers and saying, here's your extract. Well, I'm telling you where that flower came from, giving you the minor cannabinoid count and telling you the terpenes that are in it so you can make a more educated guess. And that product will always be the same. So in one sense, what sounds simple to us in the United States, individual strain extracts was not something that was very unknown to them. And one product could be three products when you break it down like that. Mm -hmm. And it could be Somebody may not just want a 10 for 10, they may want different dosages, you know? And, you know, the gel yeah. cap, you gotta have a whole range. <laughs> so. Right, and, and the patches, I mean, it, it's not, not only in the medical market with the patches and all this kind of stuff, but you're right, even in the recreational market, I'm constantly seeing innovation on different, you know, different different takes, different nuances uh, on, on, a, on a particular, uh, you know, consumption method. It's it's really amazing the innovation that's coming out. Um, so wow, that's so interesting. So I know um I believe that Germany is a really hard market to uh to crack to get into as far as be, you know getting dis 
getting distribution and things like that. And it, it's a real hot market and a lot of eyes and a lot of people, you know, in Canada, companies in Canada are, have been trying to get into that market. How tough was that for you? I mean, you, you seem to have made two really amazing uh, deals and partnerships with Canamed and, and Gruhorn. Um, is, is that starting yet or, and how did you do that? <laughs> Let's let's break it down by product category, then I'll break it down by by timing. And I think both are are, are significant. Um, you have the flower market where Canadian flower can actually come over to Europe. It has to be transformed into EU GMP, so it has to be packaged and and properly designated GMP, but it can start off as GACP flower and be transported. So Canada was always the leader uh, why Europe was developing their their um, uh, cultivation um, sites. Um, now you have product coming in. That's great. I was did a big piece on South Africa. Uh, some great growers down there. Um, mm, yeah. Colombia, Uruguay. Um, you know, there's some great growers that are getting here. However, right, the U.S. market, they they can't move that flower out of that border right now. And the few DEA licenses that were given, these are smaller and mostly dedicated towards R&D in the United States, not really mass sale um, over here in Europe. And so you have the, you have a robust flower market, which occupies about 80% of the current sales. Two years ago or one year ago, if I would have said, and this goes to timing, if I would have said, look, I want a big extract deal, people would have laughed because it was no extract market and it wasn't very interesting, you know, now it's 20% of, of these markets, or in Australia, it's almost 30% in growing. And they're not growing this way, they're growing this way. And doctors prefer to prescribe them, um, but what do they want? They want more education and they want better products. They don't want bad tasting products. Sativex is the prime example of the worst tasting product out there. And I hate to be negative on GW, but it's just bad tasting. Mm -hmm. and. And, and so, you know, they want better taste, they want better economics, and they want better form. They want the effect to be better. The golden triangle, cost, taste, and effect. So mm -hmm. they need to advance their products. Well, we arrived when the market was taking off and people were starting to pay attention to extracts. We arrived with the largest array of products. So the largest number one company, Grunhorn Kenya Med, um, and also the Canify group, which was, um, you know, the Tilray guys, which are the Tilray is still the number one group of extract in Germany. They saw what we had done and they understood today, tomorrow and the future is already here. These guys know what they're doing. They brought the U.S. know-how and the product is as pharmaceutical as, 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 as Merck or Pfizer could make. So our grade and our quality is above standard. Our facility is above standard, fully automated in every way, from gel cap lines to packaging lines to drops and spray lines to even our vaporizer line is automated now. So, you know, we've invested heavily into proper automation to expand globally, not just to one country, but to all of them in Germany, uh, saw that quality standard and accepted us. And that's why we nailed it. It was a lot of timing. It was having the best products and it was that there knowledge base was opening to uh, what we had to present to them. 
Mm. And, you know, you always hear Tilray seems to kind of get a bad rap in the news as far as, you know, a company, but it just seems like they're the ones really making the moves over in Europe. And to some degree, they're a partner of ours. We try to partner with all the best in the industry. There's not many of them over here. Um, Tilray is clearly the number one extract by a 10x in Germany. Uh, they have different positions in the UK and Australia, um, but in Germany, uh, they are the leader. Um, and this could be uh, because they were first. Um, they have a monster facility. They have a lot of money. And, you know, they've been out there. Uh, we just recently hired uh, uh, the um, the head of marketing uh, from Tilray, you know, to expand, expand us globally. Um, they're good friends. They're good partners to us, um, you know. Um, but they also have different objectives, right? They have Canada, they have beer now, yeah. um, they have Europe, they have they have just regular pharmaceutical distribution in Europe too, like antibiotics and aspirins. Um, so, you know, they're kind of a, a mixed bag, whereas we're just more finely dedicated to one craft of making the most extract products. Whereas they will, they will I believe they will always be a leader uh, in, 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 in Germany because of their name recognition. There is place for the newer innovative products where we lie and these kind of the contracts we just signed into um, predicts a over 10% penetration just this year um, of that market. And that's pretty good if Tilray's got over half, uh, you know, they have uh, well over three quarters of the toll market. So it's their race to lose um, and their, their, their position to chip away at for new people. And there's place for all of us. We need more, not less people. I don't look at people's competitors. They they fill a void that that's needed because there's still a lot of um, outreach that's needed. It's, it's, it's just the beginning. Yeah, it, it's true. So I'm not, maybe these two questions kind of wrap into each other, but um, what is like additional infrastructure that you think is needed uh, either by SOMI or just in general for the European community to move forward? And then what is the overview of the European market outlook for 2024? I'm not sure if that kind of goes together, but you know, what, what do they need as far as infrastructure or maybe you, what are your plans for SOMI and then for the to move ahead for 2024 in the European community? I'm, I'm going to make them go together. So let's look at it from two perspectives. There's over 30,000 license sets in the United States to make a market like that. And there's a larger population in Europe that strongly believes in herbal medicines as opposed to pharmaceutical medicines. Um, and so if you look at the demographics of Europe comparatively to the US and you juxtapose the amount of facilities, well, guess how many facilities are here? There's maybe 60, 80 that can service this entire region. If you go global, 100, mostly all cultivations. If you boil that down to extract uh, groups, maybe there's 20, Maybe there's 30, but if you boil it down to who has capabilities to produce advanced products, and I'm not even talking very advanced, I'm just saying, you know, something a little more than, than API extract. So I'm just giving you discipline. Well, now you're down to 10, maybe 11, and then who can produce finished form dosage forms? One, two, three, four, five, six, something like this. So you really have a tremendous um, uh, uh, 
a tremendous shortage of infrastructure here. If you look to the global market from cultivations, maybe we're okay in the near term. A facility like Tilray's at 300,000 square feet is about 10% utilized. So they have a lot of upside to go. So there's a lot of big facilities that are underutilized that can jump in there on cultivation. But extraction, you're highly underutilized for what's gonna happen. And if it goes like the United States to two thirds uh, extractable products, whether it's vapes, concentrates, things, you are heavily under uh, underutilized. So there needs to be an expansion of infrastructure just on the basic format, um, down low cultivation, production. Now you need to advance on a regulatory framework. You have countries that are announcing at the start of this year, six countries alone, well, some a little flow over from last year, but about six countries that made some announcements that they're moving forward. Spain, if you were to see one of my articles seven months ago, the Spanish health minister pretty much said, there is no clinical evidence to prove that cannabis is efficacious in medicine. Just a week ago, the new health minister came in and said, we will have our plans for medical cannabis in Spain in the next month or two that will be along the lines of global, uh, the quote is global, um, sorry, global standards for cannabis, which is pretty much signaling a medical approach uh, to cannabis, not a recreational for sure. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's pretty uh, logical with how they were trying to go be, uh, um, previous to the last announcement, seven months, if that makes sense to you. So yeah. they flipped and now they're back on the medical program again. And that's a major country to come in. France just announced that they're gonna extend a new program uh, that will start in 2025. Um, you know, that's something that's significant. Germany, we expect come this February, the narcotics derivations coming off, there will be social clubs approved and they will proceed to a second pillar by 2025 of US style dispensaries. Chesnia, I already told you, they announced a similar program just like Germany. Albania came out last year. Japan just came out and said, hey, uh, we're, we're gonna derivate the CBD um, and also regulate the uh, cultivation of cannabis plants with, with and, and give you guidance as the TAC levels. So that was a big step to get clarity from there. Thailand keeps jumping back and forth. We don't know if they're rec or they're medical. I don't think they know, uh, but that's fine. But then you have others, you know, that, that are gonna come out with rulings very shortly. And I believe, and I wrote this, and I'm gonna say it again, and with the newest uh, information that came out on Friday and last night reading all 225 pages and making my notes, the largest country in the world with the most advanced um, health system uh, with the largest budgeted for health who previously wanted to ignore medical um, medical uh, uh, usages of cannabis said right in the report, and I make this brief, it's safe and it's, it's, it, it works for pain. And they highlighted that potentially Crohn's and at least 15 others. I said that earlier, but this is key at, at least. At least. At I least. mean. Yeah, I know it's a, it's happening. I mean, we are hanging with bated breath. It's going to come. It's very yeah, exciting. I believe, I believe 
every regulator in every country who was thinking about cannabis or not thinking about cannabis woke up, sent this memo to all of their people and said, come back to me with the report. And I want it on my desk tomorrow in a meeting to discuss this, including Germany, who was going to go and who's going to take narcotic off. There was a little waffling there with the conservative party. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're going to read this and say, look, it's safe and it, and it works. And that's the end of that discussion anymore. And I think you'll even see, I, I, you'll see whether it was, and I don't want to say this, I'm just going to say it how I'm going to say it. Whatever was trying to stop this, whether it was big pharma that didn't want their opioids to be knocked off, um, here, pain is there. Sorry, it's the cat's out of the bag. Or whether it, the bad publicity, religious groups, I'm not sure what, but now they're going to look at it and say, wait a sec, do we want our... Our, do we want our pain alleviated by this pharmaceutical opioid or is this derivation on marijuana going to open up those demographics that previously were shunning it? I believe this report is going to be a global a, a global like brush fire of medical cannabis uh, uh, around the globe. And I'm, countries that you never expected are going to say, we got to give access at least for pain, at least for epilepsy. Um, what is so? Another wrap-in final question, I guess, is what is uh, what is what are your next steps now that you've conquered Germany, got your foot in the door? That's your big player there, obviously. What is the um, what opportunities M and A opportunities do other countries, other companies have in the European market? And what is your next step now that you really have made a big step into Germany. It's so complicated launching just four countries. Imagine different language, different regulatory frameworks, different uh, regulators we have to deal with, different distribution paths, different marketing. Um, it's so complicated. And so we took out the largest countries and, and we have to be patient with ourselves and develop, you know, not just the manufacturing capabilities, even though we're automated, we still gotta. We still have to train people. We're we're in massive growth spur. We're hunt. We're we like each week. There's five, six new positions opening up, and you know integrating that uh, is is very complicated. Getting that to a point where you're making true pharmaceutical perfect products and they they are the same every single time, uh, you know, is a big uh, is a, is a big challenge. And I think like. If, if, if I was to imagine, um, let's say we get it all down packed on the manufacturing levels and we get it all, all down packed on, the, on the, the distribution levels, we still got to come into new countries tomorrow and open them up. A whole new, you know. And here we, we talk about in the United States, everybody's, you know, struggling with the state by state expansion plans. I mean, I see all the different brands and companies I mean, I can't even imagine what you're going through on a on a country by country basis. You're doing that on a country by country basis. Yes. We're doing it on a state by state under a similar structure. So that's, I mean, I didn't look at it that way, but that's, wow, that's a mountain to climb. In, in one way, we're, we're quite lucky because I don't have to keep investing in infrastructure state by state. And then I have to develop management lines state by state. I have one central manufacturing, and then we develop our sales 
country by country. Um, but at least in America, you know, if you go from Texas to New York, they speak the same language, only <laughs> yeah. maybe only different politics, but it's still yeah. the same language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but wait, so you can ship, so you can have one distribution point and you can ship it. So that's, well, that's what you're doing, obviously. Yeah. Oh, We're, okay. okay. Is, I didn't think about that. Which is so complicated because keep in mind, when I was addressing Nevada as an example, well, I'm dressing, you know, a strip or maybe North Nevada, um, you know, so transportation and logistics is simple. Sales is simple. You're addressing a few key areas. California would be much more complex. But imagine, you know, imagine California times, you know, 20 I'm trying to address. So I had to make the production facility so that it, it can expand and it could expand both internally and with equipment. And we're... We, we are the most expandable and we're already at a level where we could supply all of Europe today if we if if we had to take over all production. But we have to be able to supply all of these countries. So expanding and then expanding your sales yeah. staff to get the word out. Yeah, I, it's crazy. It, that's yeah, that's that's crazy. So I guess to wrap it up, um, maybe you answered the question before about what is needed in the infrastructure over there and with extraction facilities and whatnot. But are there any M&A opportunities? You know, a lot of people will be listening here, you know, running different companies here. Like what what would be any M&A opportunities that you see over there for for the American companies to try to to jump into the European market now that it really seems like it could be taking off? Well, first, first they got to beat me to the M and A because I'm in the middle of buying a company right now. So, <laughs> okay. uh, no, I know. I mean, you're one to follow for sure. Yeah. So they they got to do that first, or they could come over here and buy me, you know, eventually. So yeah. you know, if they have, if, if they there have the, go. there you go. <laughs> you're you're setting it up. I'll tell you, you're you're yes, yeah. I think the first step for the U.S. companies are going to be branded companies coming, um, you know, like AeroPro deal coming to us, and we'll be able to uh, uh, bring them on a global standard and have a product that's a global standard for country by country things. Because once we make it here, we could sell to all the other countries. I think this is a good first step. Um, I think the U.S. companies they they're 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 really concentrated and entrenched in their regions. Um, you saw groups like Curaleaf peel out of three states already. Um, you know, they need to kind of get above that one. Um, and, and you know, of course, we need better regulation. It's silly that they're still not safe banking or anything. They're tying the hands ridiculously. So these things, these training, the, these things got to come off. And then they're going to come look over here and they're going to come in and we're going to talk and I'm going to show them, here's what we got in this, where, you know, we have the cultivation, the, the, the production, the, 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 the regulatory framework, and their decision will be, do I buy that or do I make it myself and take three years to build it yeah. um, and get to the point? And I think what you're seeing is Canadian companies are very used to the global markets. Organogram has a great footprint of distribution globally, um, but you know it's clear for them because they could bring flour from Canada here, whereas the U.S., they won't be able to bring their products here. Organogram can't bring their extracts here because they're not EU GMP, but they could bring their flour and transform it here to EU GMP. Um, U.S. cannot do that. So they have only one choice to enter is to capture um, an existing uh, model that makes sense.
or maybe as a brand, like you said, coming from the United States that wants to enter the market would use your company as, as a white label uh, manufacturer? Would that be? Yeah, we don't, future. we're not, yeah, we, we, we're not, we were our own brand, so we're not necessarily a white labeler, but for the big brands of the U.S., we definitely want partnerships with them. So, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. So we yeah. definitely, we definitely believe, like Wana brands, um, we would love, you know, some of the big brands that are independent to yeah. want to come that have proven, uh, proven stability and great finance. Definitely, we want to service them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael. It was really great to see you again. And I really, honestly, I read all of your articles. And I really, I, I really Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.